Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover. And sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Hugh. It's a killer when you're trying to read and your mouth is dry. We all know that, and Hugh is going to get some water. So thanks for serving us this morning, Hugh. Uh, uh, It's great to be back. We were gone for a few weeks, as the artists were. We did not have a baby while we were gone, just to be clear. Um, But we are so grateful to be back, and I just wanted to thank Mark for preaching while I was gone preaching on community. It's, I'm so grateful to be a part of this faith family uh, because community was happening while we were gone. Even though we were, as we were gone, Mark's preaching on community. In the midst of that, I, I learned a family in our church had a tree fall on their house. But by the time we got back, the, the tree was removed. Uh, the roof was kind of temporarily fixed and folks were cared for. And, and there's some other needs that arose in the church. I won't get into those details. They're just taken care of. Uh, I'm so grateful that you all are living out what biblical community looks like and, and serving one another and, and loving one another. It's not all bound up in, the pastor doesn't do all the work, and uh, so grateful for you and, and our faith family. So uh, as we jump into our text, if you remember, we uh, were talking about tents uh, a, f- a few weeks ago, and that this is not our home. And as I thought about that, as we prep to go into this uh, passage, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ right now in other parts of the world uh, that, that aren't able to be in their homes. So even before we jump in, I just want to take some time to pray for, for two folks, two categories of folks. We have folks in our own country that had to leave their homes today and over the last few days because a hurricane is coming And then we have brothers and sisters in Christ who've had to leave their homes likely permanently uh, in Afghanistan because uh, there are individuals who hate them because they're Christians. So would you just join me in prayer right now as we pray for those folks? Lord, I pray for the folks who are in the South right now, uh, who are in the, the path of this storm that is coming. We ask God for your mercy, Lord, to save those folks. I ask for your mercy that there wouldn't be the damage that is expected to happen. But Lord, would you preserve life? Thank you for uh, the gift of being able to know this is coming. And 
uh, that lives would be saved. And so we pray that you'd be with them. Many are going to be displaced. Who knows what they're going to be experiencing. Uh, but I pray, Lord, for peace for those. And I pray for Christians in that place, that they'd be able to be examples and serve and bring glory to Christ in the midst of crisis. And we pray also for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Lord, we drove this morning in temperature-controlled vehicles. Many of us woke up this morning in temperature-controlled homes, being able to eat whatever we wanted before we came. And yet we have brothers and sisters who've left everything to flee to the mountains, to flee where they're at because they know there are, are officials or radicals that are wanting to kill them because they've trusted in Christ. I pray, Lord, for those saints that they would endure that you would strengthen them, that you would help them, that they would know many of the things we're singing about this morning, that you will hold them fast. So be with them, Lord. Stir us up in the coming weeks and months and even years to continue to lift them up in prayer because their plight, their challenge isn't gonna be over in a short period of time. But I pray that they would endure and I pray that their example would be used to bring others to Christ in the midst of adversity, in the midst of hardship would love flow out of them. And I ask that you do this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, please continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan. Well, as we come to our text this morning, we've been studying, remember, it, uh, since the beginning of chapter 11, we've been studying about faith. And as it says in chapter one, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we've been looking at facets of faith as we've come through this chapter. So we're going to look at three more facets of faith and what that looks like as we look at this text this morning. And this morning, it's kind of under the banner of faith believes in the faithfulness of God. So as we look to have faith, it's not about our faith or what we can muster up, but we look to the unseen, unchanging, faithful God, and we believe in him, and that's the faith that we are to have. So the first facet we're going to look at this morning is this. Faith refuses to follow the allurement of the world. Faith refuses to follow the allurement of the world. So look back in your Bibles at chapter 11, verse 23. We start by learning about Moses' parents. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So what was the king's edict? To find out what the king's edict is, we have to leave our hands here in Hebrews and flip back to the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And we learn at the beginning of Exodus that Pharaoh was oppressing the people of God. Remember, we, we have learned about a bunch in Genesis in the, first few, uh, in the first few messages that we've done in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to continue to kind of look at some of the Old Testament saints. So we've had the, the people of God uh, ended up in Israel, and Joseph was in charge, and now Joseph, he has died, and it's been years later, and now rather than having favor in Egypt, they are being worked to death and being oppressed. And the, the, the people of Egypt, they're afraid of the people of Israel because they, they were growing in number. And so what happened is Pharaoh said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill all of their sons. This is what he said in Exodus 1, verse 22. He said, Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. 
but you shall let every daughter live. So the command was to kill every son that was born. Genocide is what was being asked to be done. Midwives were instructed when, if a son is born, you got to take that son and you need to throw him in the river. That's what they were instructed to do. That was the command. And Moses' parents believed God and believed that was wrong. They believed that shouldn't happen. It says here that they saw that the child was beautiful and they weren't afraid of Pharaoh's edict. Here it says the king's edict. They weren't afraid of that edict. They believed that Moses was created in God's image and that he's, his life should be preserved. So they, so they hid him at the risk of their life. They hid their son. We know the end of the story now, but in the midst of that, there was the real possibility that if found out, not only would their son be killed, but they could be killed. And as they lived their faith out, as they trusted God, even though that they were commanded to do something that was clearly prohibited in Scripture, clearly God would not want to kill children. And so they trusted God, they believed God. And because they believed God, Moses ends up being in a place of influence. Moses ends up being, a few months later, they end up putting Moses in this little boat and they put him in the Nile because they see that Pharaoh's daughter is bathing in the Nile and they set up a float and she finds him and then they send their daughter to go and, and talk with her and she's like, oh, I can find someone to take care of this baby for you. She's okay, uh, go do that for me. And she goes and gets Moses' mom. So because they had faith, their son was preserved and they were preserved and they got to spend time. She got to spend time with her son raising him in Pharaoh's household and he finds himself in a place of prominence before we even get to verse 24. So even as a side note, friends, let's live out our faith in front of our kids. Let your kids know when you are struggling with something. Let your kids know when there are big issues going on in your family that you're on your knees about before God so that they can see God work. Because Moses made decisions later on because he was identified with the nation of Israel. He had faith towards God. Certainly, he had seen that in his family. Now, now Moses wasn't perfect. So I don't want to say, hey, live your faith out before your kids, and your kids are going to turn out awesome and never do anything wrong. Okay, Moses, he murdered somebody. Moses wasn't ready to, to be God's mouthpiece, so God had to use his brother, to, Aaron, to be the mouthpiece. Moses struck a rock when he wasn't supposed to strike a rock for water to come out of it, and then he wasn't allowed to go in the promised land. So Moses didn't become like the perfect child, but he did see the faith of his parents, and he did trust in God. So let's live our faith out before our kids. But the, the story goes on, verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he had grown up in this household. Even though he'd been raised by his mom, he was still the son of Pharaoh because he was found. He was kind of adopted into the family. 
And rather than being identified with that family, he said, I'm not going to be identified with that. He kind of refused to identify with the pagan culture. And faith refuses to identify with the pagan culture. The world's attractive. I mean, he had an attractive situation. He was in a place of authority. His his adopted dad was the ruler of the world functionally. The most powerful kingdom in the world at the time was, was his adopted dad. He could have had influence there. He could have enjoyed the treasures of Egypt. But he gave it all up to follow the call of God. Now, wealth and influence aren't bad, but they are if they cause you to deny your faith in Christ. They are if they cause you to compromise. See, the answer isn't always to attain a place of influence to follow the call of God. I mean, we look at somebody like Daniel who found himself in a place of influence over uh, the kingdom in Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. We certainly looked at Joseph who found himself in a place of influence in Egypt and that saved the people. And God does that at times, but that's not always the answer. Sometimes the answer is to embrace being marginalized and afflicted. Sometimes that's the answer, being marginalized and afflicted. As Christians, we have to remember we're not trying to establish a a governmental system that's going to bring peace in this world. Jesus told us that wasn't going to happen. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Yes, we display his kingdom coming. We pray that his kingdom would come, but we aren't going to establish that kingdom. He will establish that kingdom, but we won't establish that kingdom. And we have to understand that there are going to be times when we must choose being marginalized and afflicted and embracing being a part of a people that's stigmatized because that's what Moses did. Faith embraces even a stigmatized people. We look as it it goes on. So Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He could have said, I'm going to fight the political battles. I'm going to just advocate for this people. But no, he didn't. He chose to be a part of a marginalized people because he knew that the pleasures of this world were fleeting. They're not going to last. You know they don't deliver. You know if ever in a time in your life when you have invested yourself in something in this world, it, it doesn't deliver. Those who give themselves to the pleasures of this world give themselves, and they need more, and they need more, and they need more. Someone even asked, I remember a reading somewhere, someone asked Rockefeller, how much more do you think you need? Just a little bit more is what he said. Because nothing was ever enough. This world isn't enough. So the American dream isn't the end game. Have everything. Because it's better to be mistreated than to give in to worldly pleasures because the real pleasure comes from following Christ. Look at the next verse. So after, he's, after he says with He's choosing to be mistreated, verse 25, with the people of God, then to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered 
the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, we know that Moses didn't hear the gospel back then. But the writer of Hebrews is trying to unpack. Moses was looking ahead to a future salvation that he would actually not fully see. And his example in looking, we look to Christ. We look to Christ because that is where we find ultimate pleasure is in the presence of God. The Bible says better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. So real pleasure comes from knowing Christ. That's where the real treasure is. John Piper said, if we suffer with Christ, we have more pleasure than anything in the world. Walking by faith means defeating sin's pleasures with the promise of a superior pleasure in God. Friends, we have to know where our real treasure is. And I think we need to know that with increasing fashion. Because there's a reality that things may be taken away from us. Now, brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, it's gone. They have to leave it and run. But some things may be taken away from us. Will we be marked by ones that are going to just grab onto those things, or are we going to enjoy Christ? Are we going to have had the knowledge and the experience that true pleasure comes from the presence of Christ and knowing Christ, and so that when those things go, they don't have a draw on us? Now is the time for us to prepare. We want to heed the words that Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He said, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. It's looking to the unseen. It's considering that there's greater wealth when we are in eternity than we are experiencing right now today. Do you consider the reproach of Christ? Do you consider being unified with Christ and being rejected by the world? Do you consider that greater wealth than preserving your financial resources, than preserving your rights? Do you consider Christ greater wealth? Do you consider that reproach? We need to consider that. It's good for us to spend some time in prayer and say, Lord, bring conviction. And that's a hard thing to do. Oftentimes we want to say, God, help me do this. God, would you provide in this way? I think it would be helpful for us to take some time in the coming weeks to say, Lord, bring conviction in my life where I have delighted in the world more than I've delighted in you. Prepare me so that I would delight in the reproach of Christ. Because I know today, we're not gonna face that when we walk out the door. We're likely not gonna face that when we go to the picnic today and enjoy fellowship with one another and eat food together. But that time may come and may we be ready for it. Do you identify yourself with 
a cause or do you identify yourself with Christ? Because the church, not just Harvest, Lakeshore, but the church, those who are found in Christ, whether they're in our local church or in another local church in our area or in another local church around the world, the church is the only organization, the only effort in this life that's going to last. No club, no group, no political party is going to last. So are we identifying with Christ? Are we identifying with the people who are going to be increasingly marginalized. There are brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan that have chosen to stay. Certainly we hear about the ones that are trying to leave. There are some who have chosen to stay knowing the danger that they will face because they would rather be identified with a marginalized people and and make their few days or few months count for eternity then run elsewhere. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't run in that circumstance. It's the right thing to do sometimes, and other times the Lord leads not to. But they're considering the reproach of Christ greater. So the first facet is faith refuses to follow the allurements of this world. The second facet we find today is faith trusts the unseen, faithful God. Look at verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So Moses was also not afraid of the anger of the king as he left Egypt because he was trusting in the one who was invisible. Moses didn't fear Pharaoh. He endured by trusting in the one he couldn't see. We gain endurance by seeing the invisible God. Faith comes by knowing what eternity is like. It comes by knowing what God is like, not by preserving this life. Now, I know it's hard. I get it. Like, we don't see God. And Moses knows the deal about not seeing God. He actually did get to see the backside of God, and it was so crazy amazing. He walked off the hill, and everybody saw him, and he was just kind of had this glory about him that was hard to look at. And didn't even look at God in the face. If we were in God's presence right now, in his physical presence, we wouldn't be able to last this side of eternity. But we can go into his presence because of what Jesus has done in prayer we can see him working, kind of like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. We've had a few storms run through our area in the last month, right? Some of you who work for the electric company have been working extra hours because of those storms. We see the effects of the wind, even though you can't actually see the wind, we can see the effects of God, which encourages us which strengthens our faith. We see God at work, and it reminds us of who he is. It reminds us that he is working. That's why we want to read the scriptures, because God has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. Just this morning, we were praying. And when we start a prayer meeting uh, on Sunday mornings, we open up the Bible, and it helps inform us who God is as we go to pray. Rather than starting with us, we start with him. So we gain endurance by seeing the invisible God. Moses believed in the unseen God, and he was pretty normal. Before you think he wasn't normal, remember he had anger issues. 
He had trust issues. But he knew who God was. And he could go to him. So faith trusts in the unseen faithful God. Faith trusts the blood of Christ to protect us. Because it says in verse 28, by faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. What's that talking about? If you haven't read in the Old Testament, so Moses, after he leaves Egypt to be with his, his people, they, uh, after he leaves being with Pharaoh, uh, he has to go with his people. He's leading the people now, and they are being greatly oppressed. And so God says, let my people go. He goes before Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, would you let my people go? And Pharaoh, you know, could, goes back and forth. Yes, no, yes, no. And the plagues come. Ten plagues come. After the ninth plague, a tenth plague, he said, well, what's going to happen right now is I'm going to kill the firstborn son in every house in Egypt. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they're Egyptian. It doesn't matter if they're the nation of Israel. I'm going to kill the firstborn son. But God made a way to save the firstborn son. God said, if you, if you sacrifice a perfect lamb and you put the blood over the doorpost of your house, then when the destroyer comes to kill the firstborn son, he will pass over your house. And that's where the Passover comes from uh, that we have read about and we've studied about. They wanted to do the Passover every single year because they wanted to remember that God passed over in his mercy and what it took was the blood of a perfect lamb. And for us, that perfect lamb is Christ who went to the cross, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, and when we trust in him, when we meet God on judgment day, he will pass over and welcome us into his family in eternity because of what Christ has done. So when you're covered in the blood of Christ, the destroyer has no claim on you. But I want to ask you today, is the blood of Christ functionally over your doorpost? If you're here with your parents, it's not your parents' faith that will, that will get you in God's presence in eternity. It would only be you trusting in Christ. If you have attended a faith family for years, that's not what's going to get you into God's presence in eternity. Only the blood of Jesus, and it's been provided for you. And we're going to be reminded of that. Every time we take communion, it's, it's like when the people of God took the Passover and were reminded of what God has done, we want to be reminded consistently, regularly. That's why we're going to take the Lord's Supper together when we're done at the end of our time today, to be reminded of what God has done. So faith refuses to follow the allurements of the world. Faith trusts the unseen faithful God. And the third facet we see this morning is faith obeys God's word even when it seems absurd. Does that ever happen in your life? Having to obey something that you're just like, that's absolutely nuts. Well, here's, here's some examples that we're given. Three examples of crazy things that seem to happen that that seem absurd, but that yet they trusted God anyway. Look at your Bibles. Verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now we know the story. Yeah, God's people come to the Red Sea and God parts it and they cross and then, then the 
the Egyptian soldiers, they, they go to cross and God covers them. And it just seems like, well, that's definitely going to happen. But put yourself in the shoes of the people of Israel, okay? They're a, they're a nation that had been uh, uh, hindered, hampered, had been overworked. They're tired and they're leaving the nation. And they're being chased by the most powerful military force on the planet. And God takes them to the edge of the Red Sea. I don't know about you, but when you're playing tag down at the beach and you run toward the lake, there's not a whole lot of options for you, right? The only thing you got if you're running from somebody is to swim to Chicago. I don't know about you, but I'm going home to be with Jesus if that's my option. And that's their situation. God's like, go, takes them to the Red Sea. And the most powerful army in the world is chasing them. What? God, are you nuts? Oh, but sometimes God calls us to that place. And yet God makes a way when he calls us to that. There are some Christians right now, as we've talked about, that have had to flee their homes. There are some of those Christians that have, have set the table and prepared food and left them for the Taliban to bless them as they leave. That's crazy. But why would they do that? because they are trusting in the unseen, faithful God. They're taken to the edge, and they're trusting in God to make a way. Even in their fleeing, they're hoping to make an impact for Christ. And there's more stories in verse 30. Verse 31, let's jump down to 31. Because it says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So story of Moses, Moses comes, they, they cross the Red Sea, they're in the promised land, they're, uh, they're in the wilderness, they sin against the Lord, like within a week, uh, they do stuff that keeps them in the wilderness for 40 years, Moses sins, he's not allowed to go in the promised land, Moses now dies, and there were, there were two guys that were spies that spied out the promised land and said, hey, we can go, we can take this land, everybody else had no faith, so that's why they didn't get to go to the promised land, so these two guys get to go. One of them, his name is Joshua, and he leads the people of God into the promised land. Well, when they get into the promised land, uh, there's, there's several shady characters and nations there that don't want them to be in the promised land. And one of them is the city called Jericho. And so Joshua sends some spies into Jericho. This is stuff that, you know, a great movie could be made out of this one, like spies going into a land of dark and evil characters. And they go, and as they go in to, to figure out what's going on, they're discovered. And the king of this, uh, you know, the, the ruler of this place, Jericho, it's a walled-in place, discovers and tries to go after them. And they go to a prostitute's house. They don't go to someone who's got a significant place of leadership and authority. They find themselves 
in the house of a place of someone who sells themselves for money. This would not have been someone who was respected. Likely, the people who frequented her house were people who were travelers that would come by and give her money. That's probably how she heard about the people of Israel because they came from far and wide and they told her about these things that had happened to the nation of Israel because she heard, had heard these stories. So they go to this woman. Almost like, that's not the place you want to go. Like, you've watched movies before where you're like, that's not the place you should go. Like, what are you doing? And they go. And she says, I've heard about your God. I've heard about the things that he has done. So I want to protect you. So she puts him up on a roof, kind of this thatched roof, hides him in the roof. And then when they said, hey, we know these guys came to your house. What'd you do to them? She's like, ah, you know, they took off already. Um, I think they went out into the woods. You should go after them. I'm paraphrasing greatly. You should take some time and read in, <laughs> in the book of Joshua. It's a great story to read with your family. And so they take off, and then she tells them, hey, it's, uh, you know, just go out into the woods, wait for a few days until they come back, and you'll be fine. And they make an agreement with her that if she puts this cord in her, in her window, anyone who's in their house will be saved because they're going to destroy everybody else in that place, in Jericho. And so she trusts God. Okay, remember again, she's a woman who sells herself for money. She doesn't have much. She has public enemy number one and number two in her house. And the authorities are asking her for them. You would think, time to cash in. I can turn these guys in and I can be set for some time. I don't have to keep doing this thing that I'm doing. She doesn't choose to cash in. She's like, I've heard about this God. She didn't see him. She didn't actually see God work. All she had done is heard about what God had done. She wasn't present when God did those things. She heard about what God had done and said, I want to be with you guys. So she herself also ties herself to the marginalized people. This wasn't the greater army. It wasn't like she was looking at, yeah, you're the greater army. I think you're going to win. She wasn't hedging her bets. She was trusting in an unseen God and did something that seemed absolutely absurd, put her life on the line. And she ends up getting saved because as the story goes on, the people of God come to Jericho. And we learn about that back in verse 30. Look at verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So the story is, continues to be crazy. More absurd things that God is asking his people to do. The people of God come to Jericho. So the spies had already gone back. They decided to come. God says, I've given you the city, and this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, so he's not going to, you would normally think, if you're going to take over a walled city, right, you're going to have some some battering rams, or if you, maybe if you're a movie watcher and you've seen The Lord of the Rings, like they had some big things to 
bust into cities and you're like, you gotta get some of that. No, God doesn't say go get a battering ram and, and a bunch of more swords and just be ready for hand-to-hand combat so you can scale the wall. No, he says, march around the city blowing your horns. So they march around the city blowing your horns. And in fact, I want you to do that for six days. March around the city for six days blowing your horns. I don't have a horn to blow for you, but you can just imagine. This, this does not seem like the thing that we should be doing right now to conquer the city. Oh, and on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. So they march around the city seven times, and when you're done, I want you to shout. Now, I can tell you, I've, I've met individuals who've been trained to be Navy SEALs. And if I told them, hey, this is what you're going to do when you go to attack these people, they would, they would share words with me that I could not repeat in this context. But they believed God even though it was absurd because God said, this is what I want you to do. And they shout, the walls come down, they completely overtake the city. And we know from, from the text that, that Rahab and her father's household and everybody who was in her house was saved because they, they trusted God, they obeyed God, even when it seemed absurd. God's not. That's not messing with us. There's many times when God's going to ask us to do that when it doesn't make any sense because if we knew what was going to happen, we probably wouldn't do it anyway. I can think of many things where the Lord's brought us to the brink of things and we chose to follow the Lord. If I would have known what was going to happen. I don't know that I would have done it. So sometimes God doesn't tell us for a reason. But there are practical ways when God takes us to a place and we might have to choose something that doesn't seem to make sense. Maybe when you're simply filling out your tax return and you realize, you know, if I, if I write in this extra income that no one else is going to know about, it's going to put me in a different tax bracket and I'm going to have to pay a bunch of taxes. The logical thing is no one's going to know about it, so maybe I just won't. Or are you going to trust God that he's going to provide for you? If you're a student and you're struggling in a class and you're taking a test and you notice that a student who you just want to punch their nose in every time because they have the right answer all the time, right? That, that a student is like in your view and you can see their paper and you could just put down on your paper the answers that they put down on their paper. Will you do that? Because that's the logical thing to do. Or will you trust God to meet you and have integrity and honesty? What about when you're wronged by someone? I mean, there's some crazy things. Sometimes we're like, well, I'm not sure what God's calling you to do. Well, our Bible's filled with a bunch of things that we know God's calling us to do. Think about if something, someone does something wrong. I'm just going to read a little bit out of the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Clearly, they didn't read this text when they were doing the Rocky series, right? 
If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So if they're going to take one article of clothing, oh, why don't you just give them both articles of clothing? If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, we're not going to preach a whole sermon on this. We'll do that sometime after the new year. We're going to go into the Sermon on the Mount after the new year, after we finish Hebrews. But man, and we could keep going, loving your enemies. You should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the world tells you to do. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There are some very clear things. Even if you just read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, there are some things in there that you're going to be like, that's crazy. But I can assure you that as you obey God's word, as you consider the context that you're in, whatever things that you're facing, trials, how, you, how the culture may be coming at you, engaging with it. If you start with this, and if you lay your life down, if you sometimes set aside your rights and privileges, trusting God, you will meet God in powerful ways. And some of us may be called to give up our lives. The answer may not be we see the fruit now. The answer may be we see the fruit in eternity. Because this life is not it. This is not our home, friends. We've, we've heard it time and again as we've gone through Hebrews. This is not it. Faith is seen as we trust God even when obedience doesn't make sense. Paul Tripp said, he said, peace is found only in knowing that this world is meant to prepare us for the next and that temporary pleasures and pains of this world are not our final address. Let's pray. Father, Father, this is not our final address. Father, thank you that we live in a place where we have experienced peace. Even in the last few years where we've seen a lot more unrest, we've seen a lot more hatred, we've seen a lot more struggle. Lord, as we think about and know about our brothers and sisters in other places, we still have it so easy. Thank you for the privilege we have to live here. But Lord, may we never think that this is our home. May we never lose sight of the reality that everything we do here is, is meant to point us to the day we're there, how we spend our time and our resources, how we engage with others. We're not to respond in the way the world responds. We're to respond in the way Christ responded. And I pray, God, for wisdom, and I pray, God, that we would display community and in this community in which we live, I pray that, that we would be a people that's known most for delighting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you help us? 
settle our souls and bring conviction where we need conviction because we want to follow you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength that you might receive glory as we spend our lives for the sake of Christ. And we ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.